follow me. You've heard those words before. Probably the simplest words ever spoken. And the most profound and the most difficult. These are the words that Jesus spoke to common fishermen along the Sea of Galilee. Follow me. And really, these are the words that Christ himself speaks to Moses centuries before. It is the message Christ speaks to you and to me. Follow me. For Moses, it was that burning bush experience and where God revealed himself to Moses with a new name. His name was Yahweh. His name was Jehovah. He said, it is the I am. Well, how do you know that is Christ? How is the Jehovah in the Old Testament Christ in the New Testament? Well, Jesus says seven times in the Gospel of John, I am, I am, I am. At the end of the Gospel of John, even in the Garden of Gethsemane, when they're coming to arrest him and to crucify him, he says again, I am. So he reveals himself as the Christ here at the burning bush. And simply stated, he's asking Moses to follow him. So how do we do that? How do we follow Christ? This is why I've entitled this message, Essentials in Following Christ. We've talked about relationship, that Christ wants you to know him in a personal way. He wants you to follow him. And he wants you to be with him for eternity. That's God's will for your life. He wants you to know him personally. He wants you to follow him every step of the way. And he wants you to be with him for all eternity. That story is not just a New Testament story. That is the story of all of Scripture. Now, in the book of Exodus, particularly chapters 12 and 13, we're going to see how God is using Moses, a, a picture of Christ, leading what was once a family of 70 people to now between 2 and 3 million people out of bondage and into the promised land. That's a picture. It's, it's, a, it's a real event, the exodus, but it's a picture also of the bondage and slavery of Egypt, of sin, the deliverance of Christ through that path and then leading us to the promised land. So all of this we can identify with. The Lord often uses pictures for us to understand. And they are physical pictures of spiritual and eternal realities. So the whole Exodus story, is it's a real event, but it is a physical, actual picture of spiritual and eternal realities. And they're the same for us. In chapters 12 and 13 of Exodus, I am not going to read all of those chapters. I'm going to read some sections of it, but... I see really three essentials 
and following Christ. So if you were, someone were to say to you, how do you, how do you follow Christ? How, how do, he says, follow me. What does that mean? Um, how do I do that? You know, it's interesting how a lot of people say, well, yeah, you need to ask Jesus in your heart. But Jesus didn't go by the Sea of Galilee and say, ask me under your heart. He didn't say, keep the Ten Commandments. He didn't say, go to church. He said, follow me. He said, follow me. That is what I believe an authentic Christianity. Because you say, well, I thought it was just faith and belief. It is, but a faith and belief that takes action. Because all genuine faith, if you really believe something, you will act on it. And I think it's interesting that the way we have created a modern-day Christianity is just give what I call a nod to God. Oh, I believe in that. Oh, I asked Jesus in my heart. No, Jesus says, follow me. Do you realize the implications of that? You're busy doing your work, whether you're a fisherman or whatever you're doing, he comes by and he says, follow me. It's your whole life. So three essentials that we're going to look at in the outline, if you have that. The communion, or we call the Lord's Supper or the Passover. The communion, two, the consecration, and three, the cloud. Now these are the essentials as they get ready. If you remember the story, or you've watched the movie, <laughs> um, the Ten Commandments of Moses, but... The great event is crossing through the Red Sea, the waters parting and crossing through the Red Sea. Okay, but leading up to that, leading up to that, God gives essentials. If you are going to follow me, my, my request is to Moses and to all of Israel, follow me. These are essential. First, communion. And I use that word because that's our present, you know, Typically, once a month or so, we will have communion. Some call it Lord's Supper. Um, some call it the Eucharist. It's when we have the juice and the bread to commemorate Christ with his disciples. Do you remember that? He said, this is my body which is broken for you. This is my blood, the New Testament. But the night that he did that was the night of Passover. And so they were celebrating Passover. This is what we're reading about here is the Passover. Now, what is happening on Passover? Or you think, you know, is that like a flyby or the jets going by? It is the night on the, the final plague. This is, you know, if, if you've been listening along, you'll know that there are 10 plagues. The final plague, the most severe, when the angel of death came across the, all of the land of Egypt and the firstborn of every family would die. This is part of God's judgment on Egypt. And the Lord said, now, there's something I want you to do to be safe. And this is what we read about here. And he says, if you do this, and it's not lock your door, if you do this, I will pass over you. I will pass over you. So they call this the Passover and the Passover meal that they celebrate. So let me read this out of Exodus 12, 1 to 14. I know it's a little bit 
longer, but, but you're going to see exactly what these people are asked to do. <clears throat> the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for the household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take it according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat. You shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of the month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. <clears throat> now, remember this. <clears throat> this is all new. <laughs> They've never done this before. So this is kind of like out there. You take the lamb that you've kept in your house for four days, and at twilight you kill the lamb. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel, which is the crossbeam of the houses in which they eat it. Now, are you seeing the picture here? The top, the two sides, blood, lamb, Then they shall eat the flesh that night, roasting it on the fire, so they eat of the lamb with unleavened bread and bitter herbs as they eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. Now this sounds kind of brutal if you've not been with us, but this is after rejection, after rejection, after rejection of the mercy of God. This isn't like God just kind of wiping out Egypt randomly. There's been a hardness, and God will not ever turn away someone who comes to him to believe. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, that's the sign, okay? That's the one thing they do. Blood on the door. I'll pass over you, and no plague will befall you or destroy you. When I strike the land of Egypt, this day shall be for you a memorial, a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. So this is how we get the Passover. And this is when Christ is, is celebrating this Passover meal with his disciples and reveals to them, I am the Lamb that will be slain. This is a totally new experience. Now, what is the significance of this, this Passover? Uh, a few things um, when, you, when you dive into this. Why, why the blood? Why the lamb? And there is a need for atonement. 
In other words, all have sinned. I don't think that takes really smart people to figure that one out. Um, we've all sinned. In Ezekiel 18.20, it says, The soul that sins, it shall die. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says, For the, the, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So, the fact is, all have sinned. Second thing to realize is that the life of the flesh is in the blood. In other words, our blood, it's always been viewed this way, and it's taught in Scripture that this represents life, the blood. Leviticus 17, 11 says the life of the flesh is in the blood. Even doctors today will say that. In Hebrews 9, it says, and, and you go through all of the Old Testament sacrifices, the shedding of the blood is for a covering for the sins. Without a blood atonement, Hebrews 9.22 says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So, this blood was shed representing life. And when we sin, what's the penalty for sin? Any sin. Death. And so, that, that is paid for by a blood sacrifice. But lambs and goats cannot be a substitute for a human. And that's why it says in Hebrews 10.4, it is impossible for the blood of animals to take away human sin. Christ was the perfect Lamb of God, the perfect substitute for us and dying for us. So when Christ came, he comes as human perfect Lamb substitute. Every sacrifice before Christ was a picture of Messiah to come. See, so it's, it's, a, it's a picture, but it doesn't really wash away sins. So this is the reason for it. It's, it's a, you know, it's bloody. They cut the throat of a lamb and they put it into a basin, put, put the, take the brush, the hyssop, and, and put it on the door. And say, oh, this is, this is brutal. They have unleavened bread. Why? Because they don't have time for the bread to rise. So they're, they're, they're moving. They've got staff in hand, sandals on their feet. Their, their cloak is on. They're ready to go. And the bitter herbs are something they also eat as a reminder of the bitterness of the 430 years that they have been held captive and in bondage in Egypt. So all of this, what is happening is... It's real. I mean, these are real events, but it is a picture of Christ. So what's the significance of Christ? Okay, so the, remember it said in there that you do this on, it's basically the Sabbath is, is Saturday. Um, it starts Friday night at 6 p.m. And they said, do this, do this slaying of the lamb at twilight. So that's going to be for them, it was between 3 o'clock and 6 p.m. It had to be before Sabbath. When was Christ crucified? The last words he spoke were 3 o'clock in the afternoon. So it was, it was completely dark over the entire land when Jesus hung on the cross from noon to 3 o'clock. Black. And then at the very end, he says, in, into your hands I commend my spirit. And he said, it is finished. So sometime there, so exact day, exact time, 
and exact date. Remember he said this, this will be a sign, they start your calendar on this. So on the 10th day, you take the lamb, you watch it for four days. On the 14th day, you slay the lamb, and this is a memorial forever. This is how the whole calendar goes. So years later, on Passover week, same date, same time, Jesus fulfills all of these pictures and prophecies. Ephesians 1.7, it says this, In him, Christ, we have redemption. That means restoration, renewal back in our relationship to God. In him, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. So the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin. Past sin, present sin, future sin. Not just your sin, my sin, the sins of the world. Isn't that amazing? The power that he has to do that. So that is a significance. And so when he was at the table with his disciples, he is really revealing to them that he is about ready to fulfill it because he's crucified after three, before six, he dies. Um, they take his body, they bury him, and fulfills prophecy. So, do you believe that? Do you believe that? And the question is, if you do believe that, have you acted on it? Because genuine faith will always evidence itself with action. When I was a boy, I always believed in God. I mean, I can't ever remember a time where I didn't believe in God. Maybe you're like that. I wasn't like, I don't believe in you. No, I believe in God. I believed in Jesus. In fact, I believed everything they told me in Sunday school. <laughs> I believed all of it. And, um, but we're, we're not really just talking about a mental ascent. Because we read in James, the devil also believes and he trembles. So it's not a mental ascent. Genuine faith will take action. It will cut the throat of the lamb, dip the hyssop, put the blood on the doorposts, and stay inside. That's what it does. It doesn't just say, well, I believe in God. I believe in all those miracles. I believe in all those judgments. No, I believe all that. No. It's when you act on that. And, and for us to follow Christ means that we put our personal faith and trust in him for our salvation. That's why in Romans it says, if you, if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. So it's taking action on that. So my question is to you, and I came to a point where once, once I realized that, I, hey, I've always believed, I've always believed all of this. I was afraid to go to sleep that night. Because once I knew, I need to make this personal. It can't just be a mental ascent or, a, you know, a, an acknowledgement, I believe in God. 
I need to put my faith and trust in Christ alone for eternal life. And it took me a long time <laughs> um, before I went to sleep. But eventually, that, that's what I did, the decision that I made. I'll, I'll never forget that. There, there was, it's, it's, it's not just a, a thing you float into. It's not something you, now you do grow into understanding. I realize there's a process of all of this happening. But there is a point in the time, either you're going to dip the hyssop into the bowl and put it on the post, or you're not. Right? You are going to put your faith and trust in Christ as your personal Savior or not. And the offer that he makes is, is for all of us. So this is, this is personal. This, this gospel is personal. It's for you, not just for Moses, not just for the disciples. It's for all of us. So in following Christ, this first essential is communion, personal relationship with Christ, that you've put your faith and trust, and all you need to do is say like this, Lord, I believe Lord, I believe, and if you really believe, you'll follow, right? If you really believe, you'll follow. But let's move on to the second, consecration. Because we're going to read in chapter 13, verses 1 and 2, the Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me, or dedicate to me, all the firstborn. Whatever is first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. We've talked before about the firstborn, but this is, this is an interesting thing. We talked about the Passover. We've talked about the firstborn, the death, but he says, I want the firstborn dedicated to me. So with the animals, it was sacrifice. With humans, it was a dedication of them and a sacrifice made for that son to buy him back, the firstborn. So in other words, if I had a, um, if I have a son and he's a firstborn son, um, I don't offer him like I do a lamb. It's a firstborn lamb, you offer him as a sacrifice. The first to open the womb. If it's a first to open the womb of a, a woman it's, and it's a son, then I dedicate my son to the Lord and I get a sacrifice if you have money you do a lamb if, if you're poor you, you can use something else listen, listen to this Exodus 22:29 says you shall not delay to offer the fullness of your harvest and from the overflow of your presses the firstborn of your sons you shall give to me there's a principle here that when Jesus says to you, follow me, follow me, he wants what's first. He wants what's first of everything. In Luke chapter 2, verses 22 to 24, it says, And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, this is speaking about Jesus when he was a baby, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law or the Lord, of the Lord, 
And then it says, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So because Mary and Joseph were poor, that was the acceptable offering for them. So they're dedicating their son Jesus. So Jesus actually was following this command of consecration. God doesn't want what's second. This is why when it talks about with our, it, it's with your money, it's with your time, it's with your resources, it's with your kids, it's with every single thing you have. He wants what's first. Why is that? You know, you want to hold on to your wallet. You say, God wants what's first. God doesn't need any money. Think about it. And when we read about the I am, he doesn't need anything you have. There's nothing you have God needs. But when he says, follow me, he wants your complete and undivided consecration and dedication. That Christ is supreme over everything in my life. Now that's what follow me means. I mean, when you think about these disciples, and we're... we're, we're jumping a number of hundreds of years here to the disciples, and he says, follow me. They're leaving their nets. They're leaving their homes. They're leaving their jobs. And they're submitting to everything he does, everywhere he goes. Follow me. I've surrendered up my entire life. I was like, oh, I don't know about that. I'd rather just ask Jesus in my heart. I, I'd like to get my, I want my, ticket punch to get to heaven that's all I want I want to get to heaven but I mean this surrendering up my whole all oh, my my time my money my energy my kids my everything else no that's what he's asking this is authentic Christianity folks it's not an easy believism it's simple but it's not an easy believism your harvest your time your wealth your life and we talk about, I don't know if I can afford to give 10%. He's really not asking for 10%. He's asking for everything. And he entrusts you to manage it. He owns your kids. He owns all your possessions, all the harvest. I love what it says, you know, um, at the end of, of verses 1 and 2, he says, he says that um, both man and beast is mine. It's mine. <laughs> he says, I own the cattle on a thousand hills. So Matthew 6, this is a great promise. This is in the Sermon on the Mount we preached through last year. Here's what Jesus says. Don't worry. Don't worry about your life. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. What things? Money, resources, wealth, riches. I mean, you name it. But you don't find them by seeking the stuff. You seek the one who owns it all. And you make him the supreme authority in your life, consecrating your life. So it's like Mary and Joseph consecrated their son. These people consecrated their money. They consecrated their wealth, their, their harvest, all of these things. This is what it means to follow me. 
You know, Jesus said, and I think many people turned and walked away, but he said, if anyone will come after me, in other words, if anyone here, if anyone here will follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. You know, when Jesus says, follow me, it's a pretty sobering thought. Because it kind of goes like this and like this <laughs> to the cross. But you follow the story and like this. It's a sobering thought. But that's what it means. So communion, personal relationship. In other words, you have put your faith and trust in Jesus as your Savior. Number two, consecration. I have dedicated my life and committed my life. I'll follow him. I'm not just getting my ticket punched to go to heaven. And then third, the third essential is I call the cloud. The cloud. <laughs> Sounds a little mysterious, doesn't it? But this is in Exodus 13, same chapter as we've just been reading, 21 and 22. So, so how are we going to... How are we going to know where to go? If I'm going to follow Christ, how do I know where to go? Don't most of us ask that question? I just, I just want to know how we're going to do this. <laughs> Listen to this. This is, this is amazing. Verses 21 and 22 of Exodus 13, it says, And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them. So in other words, you got clear skies. We didn't have those this morning. But you can imagine a clear sky and a cloud. What is that cloud? It's the presence of the Lord. And he says, and a bright pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by night. The pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. Think about that. Never was there a time where the, they could not see the cloud or the fire. Never. And your job is not to figure it out. How are we going to get to the promised land? You know, I, we have committees and organizations, strategic planning. We're going to map things out. I going to know this way. I think we ought to go this way. Who has the directions? Who has the map? None of that. Because the presence of the Lord is about relationship. The cloud is the presence of Christ. He is the manifest presence of God for us, Christ. And to his disciples, he said, when I ascend up into heaven, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. So we have with us today, if you've put your faith and trust in Christ, the Holy Spirit to direct your life to where you need to go. Now, this, this story, like, next time we pick this up, it gets really interesting about where we're going. Because <laughs> some of it does not make any sense. I mean, the next, uh, next message on this, you're going to see, what is God thinking taking them there? But that's exactly what can happen. The one thing I need to do is make sure that I'm following him. And he will direct my paths in a perfect way. Day by day, step by step, struggle by struggle. 
He will always be there by cloud and by fire. Now, it's easy for us to find a better way, to know a better way. On Friday, I was in Fort Collins, north part of Fort Collins, meeting a couple of pastor friends I hadn't seen in a while. So we're having coffee together up there, and I, I think, well, I'm going to head back home. Now, I, I know where I live from Fort Collins, so, but, you know, nowadays we got these GPS, um, so I get my GPS out, and, it, and it's taken me from North uh, Fort Collins through downtown, through the city. I'm thinking, I don't think so. This is Friday afternoon. And uh, now I know I-25 starts getting really bad about after 2 o'clock, but this is a little bit before 2 o'clock. It's about 1 or 1.30. <laughs> I'm smarter than this. So... I cut down, shoot straight over to I-25, hop on on I-25. Did you know, did you read in the paper on, and no, no one was killed, but two semis crashed under a bridge and shut down the highway both ways for five hours. <laughs> Guess where I was? <laughs> I was there. I wasn't there for the full five hours, but uh, <laughs> I was there long enough to be thinking about how smart I was. There was a reason why the GPS was taking me the other way, because it knew something I didn't. Now, I have had the GPS take me to abandoned fields and buildings. You probably have, too. So I'm, you know, you always want to validate. But God's directions are never wrong. They are never wrong. And if God leads you down a dark alley or into a box canyon or into a circumstance that is impossible, this is what's going to happen next. I'm going to give you a little bit of preview, okay? There is a reason why he's doing this. And it's not just you. And so the one thing you need to do when he says, follow me, how do you follow him? You read his word. You, you hear his voice speaking, his Holy Spirit in your heart. You obey everything he shows you to do. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to be a Christian. It's as simple as a little child believing on, upon Christ. But the weight of these this statement, follow me, and what he has asked Moses to do, and then in turn Israel to do, when he says, I am who I am. He gives these essentials to every believer today. And I think of that cloud, you know, it's kind of the cloud of his presence. Psalm 1611 says, you will keep him in perfect peace. Or no, I'm sorry, that's Isaiah 26. Sorry. He, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on me. In Psalm 1611, it says, you will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So you will show me the path 
Okay, Matt, you're not going down I-25 today. You're going to go downtown. You will show me the path. And the, the peace is knowing I'm just doing what he says because it's going to be good. Everything he does is good. See, faith expresses itself always in obedience. Genuine faith will always express itself in obedience. So if I ask you, do you have faith in God? Do you have faith in Christ? Do you? He says, follow me. Follow me. Now that's going to make, may make you pause and stop, think a little bit. But he's going to give you everything you need to do that. He's going to give you communion with him. Your sins are all forgiven. When you dedicate yourself of all that you have and are to him, he's going to provide everything you need. You don't need to worry about anything. And he will also be your presence, your guide throughout. Communion, consecration, and the cloud. So my prayer is this, that when we think about our Christianity, that we think in terms of not just intellectually believing, but the words that Jesus says, follow me, that we stand up, we commit to follow him, and we stay with him to the end. Because you know where he's headed? Promised land. It's glorious future. Guaranteed. And every time you get smart and want to take a detour, it's not going to go well. Father, we just marvel at your word. How beautiful it is. How magnificent is Christ all through the scriptures. And when you call us to follow you, you give us everything that we need. You give us the communion, the atonement, the blood that washes away our sins permanently, past, present, future. We have now intimate relationship with you. When we consecrate our lives to you, we realize that we then possess everything. We're missing nothing. And oh Lord, thank you for the cloud cloud of your presence, the fire by night, cloud by day. So Lord, I pray that for each one of us, our Christianity would be this kind of Christianity, to rise up and to follow Christ to the end. In his name, amen.